following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Good morning, everybody. So glad that you were here. And I know I say that to you every week, but I'm especially glad that you're here today because today I want to open the Bible for you and I want to teach you how to be rich. How's that sound, huh? (laughs) Now, wait a second. Some of you are going, hold on. I didn't think this was that kind of church. And so don't worry. For today, we are. Congratulations. Some of you are are thinking, um, hey, the Bible's got something to say about how to be rich. Bring it on. That sounds great. Some of you are saying, oh, brother, here's a preacher talking about money again. And you're going to keep your hand on your wallet the whole time. Um, Some of you are thinking, I invited my friends to church on the money Sunday. Now, let me just allay your fears, okay? Um, We are going to talk about money this morning. But I want you to hear very clearly from me right up front. I don't want anything from you. We already had our giving moment, right? I, I don't want anything from you. But I want something for you. Because I believe that when we turn our attention to what the Bible has to say with regard to money and material possessions, that what we can find here is a biblical vision for how you can live a rich life and a biblical caution about how money might get in the way of that. Right? When we turn our attention to the scriptures and and look to it for wisdom with regard to money, with regard to material possessions, what we find is a vision for the rich life and the way in which our money can get in the way. I believe there's something here for you this morning, regardless of sort of where you are on your journey. Whether you are further along in life and, and maybe uh, enjoying retirement, whether you find yourself in, in kind of mid-career and, and striving for more, whether you find yourself just beginning the journey or, or maybe even a, a student, a young adult, uh, there's something here for you about God's wisdom with regard to your money. In 1985, Richard J. Foster wrote a fantastic little book called The Challenge of the Disciplined Life, Christian Reflections on Money, Sex, and Power. And listen to what he says. The opening words of his book, The Challenge of the Disciplined Life. The crying need today is for people of faith to live faithfully. This is true in all spheres of human existence, but it is particularly true with reference to money, sex, and power. No issues touch us more profoundly or more universally. No themes are more inseparably intertwined. No topics cause more controversy. No human realities have greater power to bless or to curse. No three things have been more sought after or are more in need of a Christian response. Now, Foster wrote those words in 1985, or as my kids would say, the late 1900s, right? (laughs) Foster wrote those words in 1985, and if it was true in 1985 that there was nothing more that needed a Christian response, how much more true is that for us today? 
We find ourselves this summer in the series that we're calling Paths to Peace. This year at Irving Bible Church, from the very beginning of the year through the end of the year, we're kind of following the arc of the biblical narrative, going deeper in our discipleship to Jesus by going deeper into the scriptures. And this summer, we're camping out in the section in the middle of our Bibles called the, the wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, this literature that's there in the middle of our Bibles that gives us God's wisdom for life, the, 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 that we live according to God's wisdom. It is for us truly the path to peace. And uh, we've spent the summer so far covering uh, multiple different psalms. We're going to spend the next three weeks talking about wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And with Richard Foster's insight in mind, I, I came to the book of Proverbs to say, does the Proverbs offer us anything with regard to God's wisdom with these three big topics, money, sex, and power? And what I discovered is not only do the Proverbs have a lot to say about those topics, that in fact, they are three of the most prominent topics addressed throughout the book. And so over the course of these next three weeks, that's going to be our subject. Looking at biblical wisdom from the Proverbs regarding money, sex, and power. And this week, as we turn our attention to the topic of biblical wisdom with regard to our money... What I want to do is I want to show you three contrasting ways of living a rich life. Now, what you need to know about Proverbs before we actually dive into some specific ones is that the Proverbs are unlike the rest of the literature in the Bible. They're they're sort of their own unique genre that what we find in other places in the Bible are are stories or, or narratives that give us some sense of a story to, for us to live into. We have other places that you have explicit commands. This is what you're commanded to do. You have other places, like in the Psalms, where you have poetry. But here we have these kind of pithy little statements, short, kind of self-contained units that give us wisdom for practical living. Now, you need to understand that the Proverbs are not sort of black and white rules, Sometimes people come to the Proverbs and they're sort of perplexed because you can read some of these and go, wait, I actually know exceptions to that. And so we can get tripped up if we think they're sort of absolute rules. In fact, there are times where even within the Proverbs themselves, they seem to be saying different things. And we have to step back and go, these aren't black and white rules. They are practical wisdom for how life works in the real world. This is generally the way that life works works. It's also important just to recognize that, that, that the Proverbs are not good advice for successful living. It's ultimately just about me and my happiness and my satisfaction. But rather, what we find in the Proverbs is wisdom for a flourishing life with God in the community of God's people. Practical wisdom for flourishing life with God in the community of God's people. And oftentimes, the way that this is portrayed to us is through a series of contrasts. Contrast between the, the wise and the fool. Contrast between the way of God and, and the way of the world. And so what I want to do is I want to look at some Proverbs with regard to money that give us, I believe, these kinds of contrast. Contrast between different visions of what it means to be rich. And the first one of those is what we might call a richness of having Versus a richness of being. A richness of having versus a richness of being. A richness of having is about what we have. A richness of being is about who we are. 
And I think oftentimes in our lives, we usually focus on a richness of having because we think that that's where true happiness lies, right? If, if I have more, if I have, have security, if I have stuff, that is where true happiness lies. And our language reflects this when we talk about uh, the, the haves that keep showing up in our thoughts and our words. If I could only have that dream job, if I could only have that dream house, if we just had enough money for the better car or enough money for that great vacation, if we only had this and we seek the richness of having, but what we really want, I believe, is the richness of being. We want our lives to be characterized by things like gratitude, joy, contentment, freedom from anxiety, and generosity. But what happens is that we chase after the richness of having because we think it will provide for us the richness of being. But it doesn't. In contrast, the Proverbs talk about the importance of who we are and who we are becoming. Listen to a few of these examples. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 8, verse 10. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare to her. Right, the author is recognizing that, that, that we have this longing for, for gold, for silver, for rubies, for the, the fine things in life, for that sense of financial stability and security. But that it's more important that we pursue wisdom, that we pursue knowledge, that we pursue righteousness, that we pursue God. Proverbs 11, verse 28. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. The real thriving, real flourishing is found in righteousness. I love this one, Proverbs 15, 16. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Right? And isn't that sort of the way that life often works? Right? Those who get caught up in the pursuit of wealth find their lives filled with great turmoil. And the author of Proverbs says it's better to have a little and fear God then have great wealth and have turmoil. I, I love this. He goes on. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Isn't that good? Proverbs, Proverbs 19.1. Better the poor whose walk is blameless than the fool whose lips are perverse. It's better to be pure but to have a life of integrity. A walk of blamelessness. See, what the Proverbs acknowledging here is that some things in life are more important than money. Your character counts more than your bank balance. God cares more about who you are than about where you go, what you do, and what you have. Right? God cares more about who you are and who you are becoming then he cares about where you go, what you do, and what you have. And so should you. But the thing is, you have to choose. 
you have to choose what will be your priority. A richness of having, a richness of being. Now, you may hear that and go, wait a second, Barry. Can't I have both? <laughs> like, that sounds like a pretty good deal, right? Can't I have both of these things? Well, it's interesting to note that Jesus says rather starkly, you cannot serve God and money. He says, you, you can't do it. And I think some of us, I, I think I speak for myself here. Some of us hear Jesus' statement, the very stark statement, you cannot serve God and money. And we sort of want to go, hold my beer, Jesus, right? Watch me, <laughs> right? We, we sort of think, we think, we think, uh, okay, Jesus, I, I know that, I know that some people, maybe most people can't serve God and money, but I think Jesus, if you just gave me a shot, I I think I could show you what it looks like, right? I think I could show you how it works. Jesus says, no, no, no. You cannot serve God and money. Now, Jesus isn't saying that it's a sin to have money. Right, that, it, that it's wrong to be well off or to have nice things. But here, I think, is what Jesus is getting at in this verse. He's acknowledging the reality that one of the chief competitors of our heart's affection, attention, and allegiance to God. One of the chief competitors of our heart's attention, affection, and allegiance to God is money. Is material Security, material stuff. Jesus is putting in sharp contrast, one or the other, choose your God. Jesus says you can choose to make money the object of your attention, affection, and allegiance. But it's a terrible choice. Because the wisdom of the Bible teaches us, here's the deal. Money is a great means, but it's a terrible end. Money is a great servant, but it's a terrible master. Money is a great tool, but it's a terrible God. And what sometimes happens is that we wind up living our lives in pursuit of a richness of having rather than recognizing where real richness is found is in a richness of being. Being who God has made us to be, living a life of integrity and righteousness. Which then leads us, I think, to a second set of contrasts that you see in the wisdom of the Proverbs. And that is a richness of striving versus a richness of trusting. A richness of striving versus a richness of trusting. A richness of striving means chasing after money and putting in the hustle and putting in the grind and doing whatever it takes to try to acquire more and more because of what we think it can give us. Hard work is good and there's plenty of proverbs that, that talk about the importance of having a good, strong work ethic. But what sometimes happens is that we can be seduced to pursue money because of what we think it can give us. We can, we can sacrifice, we can put in the work and put in the grind because we think it offers us status, security, satisfaction, a sense of 
acceptance or value. And notice what happens then is that we wind up looking to money for the same reasons that people look to God. It's as though we say to to, to money, to to wealth, to material things, you're going to take care of me. You're going to provide for me. You're going to meet my deepest needs. I trust in you. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. But listen to the wisdom of the Proverbs. Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The righteous find their security in God. The wealth of the rich, on the other hand, is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Right? That, 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 that those who are wealthy find their sense of security in what they have. In, in striving for more. Because that's where they will find a sense of security. And I think we can so easily be seduced by this. Uh, sucked into this way of thinking. And yet, some of you have been watching the, uh, the Dow recently, haven't you? And suddenly, you're confronted by the reality that what you thought perhaps was a fortified city that, that, that had a wall too high to scale isn't quite as secure. And that's the reality for us when it comes to putting our trust in what we have. That money, as we said, is a wonderful means. It's a terrible end. Money is a a great servant. It's a terrible master. Money is a wonderful tool. It is a terrible God. Because as gods go, the God of money is fickle and unfaithful. That you trust in it and it will abandon you. And so we recognize the invitation of God is to live a life of trust in his provision for us. I love this in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Don't refuse these to me before I die. Number one, keep falsehood and lies far from me. So the first request is help me to live a life of integrity. And then second, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Isn't it interesting? The, The psalmist knows himself well enough to say, God, whatever you do, protect me from having too much or too little. Just give me, just give me today my daily bread. Because I know myself well enough to to know if I have too much, there's a good chance that I'm gonna rely on what I have and I'm gonna forget about you. Who is the Lord? Or if I have too little, I know my temptation will be to try to exploit others to get what I need. And in either of those instances, it is a preoccupation with myself. The psalmist says, God, help me to be preoccupied with you, to trust in you for everything that I need. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. I love what G.K. Chesterton says. When he says there's two ways of getting enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. 
right? To trust God to supply my needs. Because friends, we think of striving in terms of what we'll get, but not in terms of what it will cost. I spoke with uh, someone here, part of our church just recently, who said, Barry, I'm a millionaire the hard way. And it's a disease because of what it costs. I heard one pastor say it this way. He said, he said I've never had somebody come to me and, uh, and come to, to my office and to say, you know, I have a, a, a great marriage and a, and a great family, but to break down in tears because I drive a Ford Focus, right? No shame for anyone. I love the Ford Focus, but right. It's, it, 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 I've never had somebody come and say, my car is crummy. And break down in tears. But I've had people come and say, I have the great car. I got the great house. I got all the stuff. And yet my marriage is in shambles. My kids have walked away from me. We think of striving in terms of what we'll get. But not in terms of what it costs. Because here's the deal. Money is a great means. But it's a terrible end. Money is a great servant, but it's a terrible master. Money is a great tool, but it's a terrible God. So there is a richness of having versus a richness of being. A a richness of striving versus a richness of trusting. And then finally, a richness of hoarding versus a richness of giving. A richness of hoarding versus a richness of giving. Now, I think it's important here to point out that that God is not anti-savings. Right? There's actually multiple proverbs that you can go to that talk about the wisdom of saving for the future. So God is not anti-saving. There's one that's my favorite, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, that starts off, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Right? And, and what the Proverbs writer is doing there is he's pointing to the way that ants actually put on display wisdom in the way in which they save up for the future. So God is not anti-saving for the future and God is not anti-enjoying the good things in life, right? God is, we sometimes think God is like this cosmic killjoy and he doesn't want us to experience anything good and and delightful. What's interesting is you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, all the way back in the book of Genesis and we find that God creates man and woman and he puts them in a garden and we call the garden Eden, but the word means delight, God has created us to enjoy the good things that he has made. And and Paul will talk in the New Testament about this idea that that God has given us the good things to enjoy. So God is not anti-savings and he's not anti-enjoying life. But what he is, is anti-hoarding. That is holding for myself. Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And I think the meaning of Jesus' words are found in those two little words, that little phrase, do not store up for yourself. And yet in so many ways, we are shaped to engage the world in a way that says, more for me. Thank you very much. Um, I think there's all kinds of ways in which we're shaped to think that way, to engage the world that way. One way is um, in our board games, right? I got to tell you, for my entire life, I don't know exactly what it is, but for my entire life, I've hated the game Monopoly. Right? I, just, I, I love board games, but I hate Monopoly. Part of it is it just goes on forever. Like, is this game ever going to end? 
But I think I've come to the theological justification of my hatred for the game Monopoly. (laughs) And that is the whole point of the game is more for me. The way that I win is by crushing all of your dreams and taking all of your stuff. (laughs) And yet, I think in a lot of ways we're taught to engage the world that way. More for me. Again, listen to the contrasting wisdom of the Proverbs. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, the, the imagery that's being used here, right, is this idea of give to God your first and best. Give to God your first fruits. And for them, there would have been a, a sort of literal significance of that word first fruits. There was in the Old Testament this sacrifice of the first fruits. That when a farmer would sow seed and uh, wait for it to to sprout up and to begin to to bear fruit, that crop beginning to come in. And remember, we talked just a few weeks ago when Sam taught us about sowing in tears, right? That extravagant trust of taking that good grain and throwing it into the ground, hoping that it would come up. But then when it started to come up, it started to actually bear a crop. Then what they were supposed to do is they were supposed to take the first fruits, the very beginning of this crop. And rather than take it home and grind it up and and make bread and provide for their family, they were supposed to take the beginnings of that crop and bring it as an offering to the Lord. First fruits. And this was a profound act of trust that said, God, I am giving you my first fruits. I'm giving you my first and best because I'm trusting that there's more to come. And I think, friends, that that principle still applies for us today. That we're to be people who bring to God our first and best as a way of trusting him that there's more to come. You you see this idea of open-handed generosity over and over through the Proverbs. Proverbs 22, verse 9. The generous themselves will be blessed for they share their food with the poor, right? There's this not only giving to God, but there's giving to meet the practical needs of people around them. Proverbs 11, verse 25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, this is not some kind of divine quid pro quo, right? You give, you get in return. It's, this is not the prosperity of the gospel. Sow a seed and you're going to get a greater reward. It, it is just a general truth about the way life works. Live with open-handed generosity and God is going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to bless you. And see, the, the thing is, friends, you, you need to know. God doesn't want your money. He wants you. God doesn't need your money. He's doing fine. Thank you very much. God doesn't want what you have. God wants to make sure that what you have doesn't have you. Right? Because whatever you have and that you have to have has you. Whatever you can't release has you in its grip. And so whenever we give, it's our way of saying, I don't look to this to provide for me, to take care of me. I don't trust in this. My security isn't in this. My identity, my value, my satisfaction, my 
um, security isn't in this, it's in him. And I'm proving that by my giving. And I'm training my heart to believe that by my giving. And once again, I want you to please hear me. I don't want anything from you today. I want something for you today. I want you to find freedom. I want you to find freedom from the tyranny that striving after money creates. I want you to find freedom from the cost of striving after money demands. I want you to find freedom from the anxiety that striving for money churns up. Because here's the deal. Money is a great means, but it's a terrible end. It's a great servant, but it's a terrible master. It's a great tool, but it's a terrible God. And so what are you choosing? The way that you live your life and the way that you spend your money and the way that you go about life in this world, what are you choosing? Are you, are you choosing a, a richness of having? Are you prioritizing a richness of being? That God cares more about who I am and who I am becoming than where I go or what I do or what I have because there are some things in life that are more important than money. Are you choosing a richness of striving, acquiring more to find that sense of security, identity and value? Or a richness of trusting, trusting God that he will take care of you? Are you choosing a richness of hoarding or a richness of giving, acquiring more and more for me or living with open-handed generosity as a way of saying, God, I, I trust you because what you have to have has you. What you can't release has you in its grip. And God invites you to live this life of open-handed generosity, trusting in him, living a life of righteousness, integrity, and wisdom because he recognizes that here's the deal. Money is a great means, but it's a terrible end. It is a great servant, but is a terrible master. It's a great tool. It's a terrible God. Let's pray together. God, I pray for all of us as we hear this challenge from your word, Lord, that we would... Um, in these moments, respond as is fitting. For some of us, Lord, there's uh, a need for, for challenge, for, um, for a sense of conviction, uh, for some kind of correction in our lives, God, that, that as we come up across the truth of your word, the wisdom of the Proverbs, that there's a need for us to change course, to make some changes in our lives. God, for others, uh, in response to this, there's just a, 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 a need for encouragement, comfort, an invitation to trust regardless of their circumstances. To trust in you, to find their sense of security in you. So God, for all of us, as we, as we hear the truth of your word, the wisdom of the Proverbs, God, help us to respond as is fitting. And we thank you for the truth that we can cling to this reality, that we can trust in you because we know your extravagant generosity directed towards us. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have life everlasting. Thank you that because of your great generosity towards us, we can trust you with all of our lives, both for now and for eternity. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.